the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Friday, January 29th, 2021. Following up from yesterday on the abuse of children by miseducating them, especially in things ugly like racialism and disunity, but denying them what the good stuff is that we used to have, that we used to get. And not surprisingly, before there was a talk of cold civil wars in America. Indeed, if you want a house divided, a civil war in America, disuniting us is exactly how to get that. Has anyone put one and one together here? When we had a common language of our country and our culture, no matter who we were so far as what country we came from or what region or what religion or what race or what ethnicity, when we had a common set of assumptions or love of country and a common set of understandings and common history and appreciation of our constitution and civics, we were constituted and more civil. Imagine that. Indeed, when you look back at the causes and surroundings of our hot civil war in the 19th century, it was all about two different interpretations of our founding and certain moralities, wasn't it? One side thought our founding meant to extend slavery and that there was nothing wrong with it. One one side thought our founding was meant to limit it, end it, and that it was a wrong that needed to be righted. And so we would, in Lincoln's words, become all one thing or all the other. Those of us who won, the winning side, read the Constitution one way. The losing side read it another. And thus the House did fall for a time. And here we are, with all kinds of talk of division, all kinds of talk about the needs for unity, all kinds of talk about another kind of civil war in America, and this like never before. And this after a generation of teaching what is effectively the losing side interpretation of our founding that was embraced by the leaders of our 19th century civil war's losing side. Today we are taught the founding thought slavery a good thing. That's what Alexander Stevens and Jefferson Davis thought. As Jefferson Davis put it, quote, We recognize the Negro as God and God's book and God's laws in nature and how he tells us to recognize him as our inferior, fitted expressly for servitude, close quote. As Alexander Stevens put it, quote, The prevailing ideas entertained by Thomas Jefferson and most of the leading statesmen at the time of the formation of the old Constitution were that the enslavement of the African was in violation of the laws of nature, that it was wrong in principle, socially, morally, and politically. They rested upon the assumption of the equality of the races, and this was an error. It was a sandy foundation, and the government built upon it fell when the storm came and the wind blew. Our new government, the Confederacy, is founded upon exactly the opposite idea. Its foundations are laid, its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery subordination to the superior race is the natural and normal condition, close quote. 
Roger P. Taney put it this way, the black man has no rights which the white man is bound to respect, close quote. Each and every one of those foregoing theories is what you hear about our founding today in America's classrooms, as if that's what represents the founding philosophy. That is the view of our founding today. This is the view, the view of, if not the purpose of, the 1619 Project. But there was another view, articulated most profoundly by the very man whose name was removed from a high school in San Francisco this week, Abraham Lincoln. He put things more like this, quote, Wise statesmen as they were, they knew, the founders, the tendency of prosperity to breed tyrants, and so they established these great self-evident truths that when in the future some man, some faction, some interest should set up the doctrine that none but rich men or none but white men were entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, their posterity might look up again, to the Declaration of Independence and take courage to renew the battle which their fathers began so that truth and justice and mercy and all the humane and Christian virtues might not be distinguished from the land, extinguished from the land, so that no man would hereafter dare to limit and circumscribe the great principles on which the Temple of Liberty was built, close quote. Lincoln said this, quote, when Stephen Douglas says he boldly denies that the Declaration of Independence includes Negroes at all, I protest against that counterfeit logic, close quote. Lincoln said this, quote, Slavery is founded in the selfishness of man's nature, opposition to it in his love of justice. Repeal the Missouri Compromise, repeal all compromises, repeal the Declaration of Independence, repeal all past history, you still cannot repeal human nature. It still will be the abundance of man's heart that slavery extension is wrong, close quote. And Lincoln said things like this, quote, Our adversaries in the Confederate States have adopted some declarations of independence in which, unlike the good old one penned by Jefferson, they omit the words, all men are created equal. Why? They have adopted a temporary national constitution in the preamble of which, unlike our good old one signed by Washington, they omit we the people and substitute we the deputies of the sovereign and independent states. Why? Why this deliberate pressing out of view the rights of men and the authority of the people is very telling. Close quote. And this, Lincoln said, Quote, now, my countrymen, if you have been taught doctrines conflicting with the great landmarks of the Declaration of Independence, if you have listened to suggestions which take away from its grandeur and mutilate the fair symmetry of its proportions, if you have been inclined to believe that all men are not created equal in those inalienable rights enumerated by our Charter of Liberty, let me entreat you to come back. Return to the fountain whose waters spring close by the blood of the Revolution. Come back to the truths that are in the Declaration of Independence. Do not destroy that immortal emblem of humanity, the Declaration of Independence, close quote. Again, one side believed in the natural rights based on our common humanity as articulated in the Declaration of Independence, and one side believed our Declaration of Independence was a lie. One side believed our Constitution was meant to embrace the first understanding, and one side believed it was meant to embrace the second. The side of the first, in both cases, was bigger than the side of the second. The side of the first, in both cases, won the Civil War. 
And today we arrive at a national pedagogy that instructs us in the rightness and morality and history of the second side, the second theory, the losing side, the losing theory. And our children are increasingly bombarded not just with that, but with the junk thought that they must dismantle, as the BLM curriculum puts it, quote, the Western prescribed nuclear family structure, close quote. Toddlers are being taught to identify racism and take down culturally, cultural building blocks that support it. Kindergartners are given coloring books on transgenderism. The Cartoon Network promotes all of the above, and Teen Vogue teaches the virtues and wonderfulness of communism and Karl Marx. Plato is out. 1776 is out. Lincoln is out. 1619 is in. Ibram Kendi is in, and the philosophy and history of America opposed to Lincoln in his day is in. Meanwhile, all common history and literature is out. As one great liberal historian from Harvard who worked for John Kennedy, Arthur Schlesinger, wrote in his book, The Disuniting of America, quote, the impact of ethnic and racial pressure on our public schools is troubling. The bonds of national cohesion are sufficiently fragile already. Public education should aim to strengthen those bonds, not to weaken them. If separatist tendencies go on unchecked, the result can only be the fragmentation, resegregation, and tribalization of American life, close quote. One might just say a cold civil war. Edie Hirsch, who we discussed yesterday with Tevi Troy, wrote it this way in his book on the importance of cultural literacy. Quote, to withhold traditional culture from the school curriculum and therefore from students in the name of progressive ideas is in fact an unprogressive action that helps preserve the political and economic status quo. Middle class children acquire mainstream literate culture by daily encounters with other literate persons. But less privileged children are denied consistent interchanges with literate persons and fail to receive this information in school. The most straightforward antidote to their depri deprivation is to make the essential information more readily available inside the schools, close quote. Dr. Hirsch goes on to warn us, quote, intellectual error has become a threat to the well-being of the nation. A truly massive tragedy is building. Schools are diminishing our national unity and our, and our basic competence, close quote. Was anyone paying attention? Well, yes. The left was. As Tevi put it, Hirsch's words are of no moment to our progressive educators. Their interest is not his interest. They do not care about unifying us. Hence, they keep using words like dismantle and destroy. They want us divided. They want a new historical understanding of our economy so as to better affect their agendas. One might say, in short, sadly, they want us stupid. Or at least, quote, denied consistent interchanges with literate persons, as Dr. Hirsch put it. Hirsch also said something else, and this more recently, quote, the idea that identity and ethnicity are inborn and indelible from birth is a false view that leads to group hostility, close quote. Yes, group hostility. 
as perhaps best seen in riots and property destruction and killing of cops and sitting out things called the national anthem unless it's sung at a Joe Biden speech or inaugural. And if the entrenchment of identity, if, I, if the entrenchment of identity, ethnicity are not inborn, which they are not, then again, as Rogers and Hammerstein put it, our children must be carefully taught to hate. Sad. But if we want to avoid turning up the heat in our cold civil war, we at least know where the faucets are. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. You can't be in a, in, a, in a bad mood with a song like that coming at you from Dolly Parton, can you? That's, even the trumpet section sounds like they're having fun with that. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Happy Friday, 602-508-0960. Your show, uh, Open Line Friday, anything you want to talk about. I just what are, what are the three things I don't do? Accounting, medical, and legal advice. Other than that, anything you want to talk about, anything you want to ask me, let's get to it. End of Tiger. End of Tiger. That was a great short story by John MacDonald about a boyfriend a kid had and the family got rid of him because he laughed too much over the torture of an animal. It's, it's a deep story, but it's worth, if you don't know it, it's a good one. It was his laughing. He laughed too hard, and that was the tell to the family that this was not a good boyfriend for their daughter to have. His laugh, his name was Tiger, and his laugh was his end, the end of Tiger. It's a good story. It's in the moral compass. I think we're at the end of Andrew Cuomo. I think his career is today officially over. Yesterday, his state's attorney general in New York, Democrat, wrote a report CBS has given a literal five seconds to this, by the way. A literal five seconds, CBS has. Anyway, his state attorney general issued a 76-page report. Are you familiar with it by now? That Andrew Cuomo has, um, his administration uh, has fudged numbers of nursing home deaths from COVID by as much as 50%. By as much as 50%. The attorney general said, quote, as the pandemic and our investigations continue, it is imperative that we understand why the residents of nursing homes in New York unnecessarily suffered at such an alarming rate. While we cannot bring back the individuals we lost to this crisis, this report seeks to offer transparency that the public deserves. Now, you could have been CNN and the New York Times and all the rest during March, April, May, June, July, August, September, and fawned over Andrew Cuomo. You could have. Not everyone was fawning over him. Janice Dean wasn't. We weren't here. A few other conservative outlets were saying something's not right there. He doesn't deserve all the encomiums he's receiving. But CNN covered those press conferences from beginning to end as they cut away from the president. Andrew Cuomo was so infatuated with his own ability to talk and communicate and be well-received as a counterpoise to Donald Trump that he dared to and did publish a book 
on his great leadership of the COVID crisis. He was given an Emmy Award, which I think is a first for a governor, based on his press conferences. And today, he doth protested too much, channeling his best Hillary Clinton. This is part of his press conference today. A third of all deaths in this nation are from nursing homes. New York State, we're only about 28% only. But we're below the national average in number of deaths in nursing homes. But who cares? 33, 28, died in a hospital, died in a nursing home. They died. And I dealt with the loss of my father. The pain is so incredible uh, and inexplicable. And why, and why, and why? Who cares where they died? And he's uh, bringing his father's death into this? His dad died five years ago. Nothing to do with COVID. Who cares, he said. Who cares about whether it was a nursing home or a hospital? We're at 28% when the national average is a third. This is the man who in his press conferences told us that congregate care nursing home settings are places where COVID spreads like fire on dry grass. And he put them there. And he's now blaming the federal government. He says today, quote, everybody did the best they could. If you think there was a mistake, then go talk to the federal government. It's not about pointing fingers or blame, close quote. If you think there was a mistake, talk to the federal government. It's not about pointing fingers or blame. I hate my producer, Bill. I love my producer, Bill. My goodness gracious what he's getting away with. And he got away with it for a long time. Here's a little mashup of some of the fawning over Andrew Cuomo from last year. Even lifelong Republicans tell me they look at Cuomo and they're like, God, there's a leader. I have to wonder what it's like to be in your shoes with the weight of this responsibility and just the sheer exhaustion you must be feeling right now. You've been commended for your clear and your calm leadership. People from all over the country and the world have tuned into your press conferences. Your statewide approval rating, a career high 84 percent. How do you intend on spending that political capital that you've earned. On and on it went. You can hold it there. There's a con. On and on it went. Those were mainstream news anchors, aside from Scarborough, who's MSNBC, but not a news anchor himself. On and on they went. He wrote a book. He got an Emmy Award. We were on to this farce a long time ago. We had isolated, you know, the kinds of things you were getting at his press conferences We'll give you a little more taste of it. That's a good word for it. Taste of it when we come back. Open line Friday on the Seth Leibson show 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Jim Steinman wrote that song originally for Meatloaf, but Barry Manilow got it first in an odd twist and then Got it out there first. Meatloaf has a version, too. We like Meatloaf's version a little better, don't we? We don't have a lot of Barry Manilow. We've discussed this before. Do we have a couple? 
We have a little Copa. That. Do we have anything else? Pro- huh? Do we have man? We probably don't need much more. I know what you're thinking. I know exactly what you were thinking when I said we probably don't have a lot of Barry Manilow. You know what you were thinking? I know what you were thinking. You were thinking just enough. You were thinking just enough. Fair enough. <clears throat> okay. Um, <clears throat> While Joe Biden could say, do I look like a socialist during the campaign, it should give you some pause that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeted today over Joe Biden's green and energy plans, quote, it's almost as if we helped shape the platform, close quote. That should get, I have more to say about that in a moment. But from the greatest hits of Cuomo, this was the kind of gibberish you were getting from him on and on when he was evidently covering up as many as 50% of the deaths that took place in nursing homes under his orders. To the best you can, you find a way to create some joy. You, tr- you try to find a silver lining in all of this. How do you break up the monotony? What do you do? How do you bring a smile to people's face? Uh, give you my idea for today. Uh, Sunday, I come from an Italian-American family. Sunday was family day. We had the big uh, family dinner, but you'd have it like in the afternoon, so it was like a confusing, but it was like a lunch, late this, lunch, they this called is just dinner. from Mount Olympus, and it isn't was it? spaghetti and meatballs and sausages. And He goes on and on and on with this stuff, doesn't he, about where he would buy the sausages and how they would cook the meatball. This was the kind of stuff CNN cut away from the president to cover en toto, as we say in Latin. Anyway, as I said earlier, I think it's the end of Cuomo, as the old John McDonald story is, the end of Tiger. Ned writes, will the esteemed governor have to refund his book fees and give back the Emmy now? Probably not. You never have to say you're sorry. You never have to be held to account when you're a Democrat. I was talking to my friend Gil in Los Angeles the other day. He was just going on and on to me. He just had a cascade of examples of Biden doing the things Trump had done that were um, not allowed, that were um, to be criticized and condemned. So we couldn't say Wuhan, uh, Wuhan virus, Wuhan flu. I think virus, right? Not was it either one? We couldn't say the Chinese virus. We couldn't say the Chinese Communist Party virus. But evidently, all of a sudden, it's perfectly fine to talk about Brazilian strains of it, and it's perfectly fine to talk about Portuguese strains of it, and it's perfectly fine, evidently, to talk about all these other countries' new strains of it. All of this so much silliness. Um, But on a serious note, picking up on something we talked about yesterday, John Hinderocker hones in on it at Powerline. We were talking about kind of a delicate and complicated issue of when you look at what's going on in our schools when you go and look on when you go when you look at what's going on in our culture high culture what the kinds of things we're being taught and told from corporations the kinds of things they're supporting and endowing big networks netflix nothing's bigger than big education our public education system we should call it big education and you and you look at the Marxist uh, the Marxist doc, uh, doctrinaire stuff they're throwing at you, 
and I was I was pondering as I was yesterday. I was pondering out loud. You know, how out of step are we, people who share my view of it, and probably so many of yours? How are out of step with the rest of the country are we? How many parents get a notice from their school? seeing that their first grader is going to be given a coloring book on transgenderism and that um, that their toddlers in, uh, in, in nursery school are bo- going to be given classes in racism because of Professor Kendi's works at Boston University. How many parents in America look at that and say, oh, good, good idea, yeah, that's, we, need, we have a racist problem in this country. I'm glad. How, really, did you have to do this? We had to do this on Tom Selleck's birthday, no less. Yeah. We'll be right back. 602-508-0960. I want to answer that question, how out of step we are, and how nervous we should be about being out of step. The answer is a little more than you may have thought. That's the uh, guitar strummings of Lee Rittenauer, the bass strummings of Stanley Clark, and the trumpet of Maynard Ferguson. That's about the three best you can get. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Open line Friday. Anything on your mind? 602-508-0960. Dana and Chandler. How are you doing there, Dana? I'm hanging in there, Seth. How are you doing today? Good. Question for you. Yes, sir. Do the Louchins... Shiver, shake, and seek cover when it thunders and lightnings? You know, it all depends on their temperament. I have some that are absolutely bomb-proof, which is the temperament that we strive for. Nothing should bother them. Nothing should rattle them. They should be solid. Um, That doesn't always happen. And so there are some dogs that are just naturally more fearful than others. Um, And some of that is learned in puppyhood where we just can't... um, change that once they've had a frightening experience if it's at a time in their life where they are you know still vulnerable and still learning about the world around them those things can shape them for life not that's my question though can, that, yeah that's my question can, can you train them against this fear not once they've been you, you can you have to recondition them so what you need to do is you need to have the situation that's causing the fear or the anxiety or what we call the reaction to a resource or the reaction to their environment, and you have to associate it with something positive. So you have to catch them actually, let's say, during a thunderstorm. Let's say Dagny's terrified and she wants to go hide under the bed. If she learns to associate the thunderstorm with, like, really super yummy treats or a really special toy that has high value, you can train that out. But it takes a lot longer with an adult dog than it does with a dog that's, let's say, you know, under six months. Because just like in humans... Your brains are hardwired by a certain age, and so repetition takes longer and more to build the memory. That is good to know. I don't know where it came from. She was never traumatized. She faced no trauma in her life ever. But these thunderstorms, yeah, she has gone under the bed. By the way, under the bed and stuck. You know where (laughs) where it took like two people to lift a bed to get her out. She she jumps in the bathtub. She'll jump in the shower. yeah. Uh, one night. And don't cuddle her because you're just reinforcing the behavior. If I cuddle her, she'll... Yeah, no, I learned that. Let her be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then one night, it was funny. It must have happened during my sleep. I have all my shoes in the corner of a walk-in closet. And I woke up and um, they were scattered all over the place. Turns out she was digging through <laughs> them to get into that corner. It was very funny. Yeah. Yeah, anywhere to hide to yeah. get away and... and- 
surrounding herself with your scent, especially your shoes, because, you know, most people's feet are rather odiferous. Dogs yeah. seem to really like Not shoes. Mine. Um, is a comforting thing for them. They'll hide <laughs> in laundry, you know. She just, she just, the shoes were in the space she wanted is all that was about, I think. Yeah. yeah. But some of that, but she was probably surrounding herself with your scent as well. Well, they, I was you know, right there in bed. She could have just been there. <laughs> Well, but, it's but like the old Kierkegaard the story, you know, of the woman walking down the street with a stroller and the passerby <laughs> says, what a cute baby. And the woman says, you should see the picture. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she wanted my <laughs> scent. I was right there. OK. All right, kiddo. That's not why you called, but that was helpful information. Well, you know, I, I'm glad to help. You know, I you asked these questions so because I assume. Yeah, well, I ask these questions assuming others have them. I mean, you know. Sure. Okay. You're not the only one. No. You can't be the only one. I can't possibly be. Anyhow. So then I have a question for you. Yes, ma'am. And I don't know that you can answer it, but it's something that we haven't talked a lot about and we haven't thought a lot about. And I have, you know, I have a kid that's in um, post, post-college. She's in in uh, her graduate studies. So she's in her pharmacy um, program, learning to become a PharmD. And um, she has been sick with coronavirus and had been tested and was tested positive and she's recovered and, you know, that's over and done with. Well, for the program, they're required to be vaccinated. Sure. And so the question, apparently, well, the beginning of the story is she told her younger sister that she was vaccinated and didn't feel good after the vaccination and yep, had a fever, right. but don't tell, but don't tell mom. Right. Well, you know, if you're doing something that you don't want your mom to know about, yeah. you probably shouldn't be doing it. Right. Or at least talk to your mom about it before you do it. Right. Because there's a reason yep. that, that you don't tell your mom you're doing stuff. That's correct. And not not usually a good so, one. Right. This, that's not a good sign right. to begin with. <laughs> right. So, right. Whenever you're doing, I, I would expand it beyond moms. Whenever you're doing something well, where you yeah. have to say, but don't tell X. Probably it's not a right. great thing. Right. So so she got vaccinated, and my question to her was, did anyone ask you before they said, you know, you must be vaccinated, period, if you, A, had had the disease? And are we asking people before they're vaccinated, hey, if you've had the disease, what does this do to the natural antibodies yeah, that you've no, already that, created? Because right. we know this right. isn't a natural vaccine. Right. Vaccines right. aren't natural. Right. And so the antibodies that the vaccine creates are not natural antibodies. They're they're engineered. Right. Are we asking anybody before they're getting vaccinated, have you had this disease? Can we check you for antibodies? What happens if they've had the monoclonal antibodies, antibodies, right? Or, antibodies or the plasma or the convalescent plasma, right? Right. Right. All right. these well, questions. Saying, right. Right. And so my question to a kid who's not a kid, but a young adult who's in a science program, right. no less. Right. Why didn't you ask them? Right. Why? What is why do I need to be vaccinated if I've already had the disease? What right. will this do for me? What won't it do for me? What are the And it benefits? is a question worth asking. And because I think the answers are on both sides of this right now. They don't know enough. From what I understand, from my reading, Dana, which may not be as comprehensive as others or yours, but from what I'm reading, it may not be enough uh, to to prevent it. I I don't know. I am what it can't be. Yeah, right. We don't know enough. We, we don't. don't enough we don't know enough. Experience. That's exactly right. We don't know enough. And you heard me. We don't me. know the long term. So so my question is: This is someone who, in her career life, will be vaccinating people. Right. You know, pharmacists give vaccines. Sure. What what are you going to tell patients if they ask you that? Are you going to ask your patients those questions? Right. I mean, 
this is this is really disturbing stuff that someone who is college educated and, and actually going into this, you know, to be their career. And she's not even asking. I know of uh, the enforced. Why and how right. And, right. There's an enforced. It seems like there's an enforced um, an enforced uh, uh, assumption, set of assumptions that we all uh, are, are, are are supposed to just accept. Right. And that we're not right. supposed to ask questions. It's a it's a right. little bit like it's a little bit like um, uh, yesterday I was talking about this uh, BLM curricula uh, that's being put out. And the last item of 13, we are unapologetically black in our positioning and in affirming this, we need not qualify our position. Anything having to do with the vaccines and the study of this, we need not qualify our position, means we need not have discussion, means we need not have open debate. There's a lot of discussion and debate to be had about it. I'd like to talk about this latest nonsense of using two and three masks. Well, and why is there no liability to any company or anybody that's giving these vaccines? What if she finds out in six months' time that it's given her some awful autoimmune disease or rendered her sterile? What does she go back to? Right. And if we're transparent and there's no risk, why do you have to be held? Your questions are mine, Dana. So you're right. I don't have the answers, but you're right to be asking those questions. These are my questions, too. These are your questions are mine. How do we find out the answers? Yeah, yeah. well, time. Time. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, that I, could be too late. Uh, it could be. It could be. We are doing everything by the seat of our pants. It started, it started with the shutdowns. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Uh, Open line Friday. Got an email from Ned. Another question. I understand that we conservatives need to work to get the party back on track. A new party will only serve to split the conservative vote, much like when Ross Perot ran for president. But given the current cleansing of what we say, would there be a chance that the mainstream media will deny advertisements for conservative candidates? I know there are currently laws that require both sides to be able to purchase ads on a network, but that is the way it is today. And if they can say that the president can be censored, can't they apply the same idea to other candidates in office who are conservatives? Yeah, yeah. Uh, First of all, um, already corporations are doing this. Notice how um, I believe uh, two hotel chains, two privately owned hotel chains – canceled Josh Hawley, Josh Hawley's political fundraising events. They'll be doing that for others. Um, I'm sure of it. I'm sure you will see much more of that. You will see more and more of that. So you will have to obviously do them in your house, I suppose, your living rooms or other private venues or find hotels that don't engage in censorship. We have a caller listener who calls these hotels when he hears of it and gives them a piece of his mind, and I'm glad he does, and others should do the same. As far as uh, what I think Ned is referring to as the, um, as the uh, I think it's referred to as the equal time rule, that if you accept ads for one political candidate, you have to accept ads for their opponent. Um, yeah, no, Ned is right. Um, that is federal law. I think it's in Title 47. It is federal law, and federal law is changeable. 
that 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 is that that is changeable by by a majority of votes, not even a supermajority of votes. You could have a majority of the House of Representatives change that rule, and um, and, and and yes, he signed very scary times, sir. That was what what he signed it with. Yes, very scary times. I want to talk to you about what your own rights are. As employees and your political views, I meant to be doing that um, in this segment, but um, with the, these, these, the call and the email came up first. Can you be fired for being a conservative? It's something to worry about. And uh, we just had a caller looked on, was calling on something interesting. We'll invite her back. Anyway, it's Open Line Friday, so anything on your mind, 602 508 